Hey there, SCF Online family. Thanks again for joining us for another SCF Online worship gathering. We are so thankful for you. So thankful uh, for your engagement in this uh, space, this place where we can worship together, pray together, and uh, learn together. And really with everything that we do here at SCF, we want to know God more. We want to become like Jesus more and we want to change our world more. Uh, well, last week we kicked off a new teaching series that we are calling Grateful. And uh, so last week we really kind of grabbed on to a phrase that Paul uses in Colossians chapter two and verse seven, which is overflowing with gratitude, overflowing uh, with gratitude. And we learned last week from Paul that this gratitude that he is uh, talking about is tethered not to our changing circumstances, but rather is tethered to God's unchanging character, his love, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness, revealed in living color in Jesus Christ and displayed at the cross. And so because we are recipients of God's overflowing grace and overflowing love, we can overflow with gratitude, whether it's a good day or a bad day. We can overflow with gratitude, whether our circumstances are pleasant or painful, because this is a gratitude that's not tethered to our changing circumstances, but to God's unchanging character. Uh, well, today in part two of Grateful, we again want to think about this thing of overflowing gratitude in terms of generous giving to the work of the Lord. So overflowing gratitude that reveals itself in overflowing generosity. And so we had a, uh, a rather long uh, scripture reading as part of our service, and uh, that was from... Um, Exodus chapter 35 and, and chapter 36. And we looked at that story because I think it's one of the most amazing um, illustrations of how a people who are um, filled with overflowing gratitude that reveals itself in overflowing generosity. Overflowing generosity in response to the character of God. And so let's uh, look at a couple of verses. We've already read these. So let's uh, look at Exodus 35, 20 and, and 21. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. Uh, I want us to grab hold of the context here. Uh, it'll take us a couple minutes to do it, but I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. I think by um, understanding the context here, it actually shines an even brighter light onto the character of God, particularly his um, forgiveness, his, 
his um, uh, mercy and um, his patience, I think, is really brought to the forefront in an understanding of the context here. And so to understand the context of Exodus 35, we need to go back 10 chapters to uh, Exodus chapter 25. And uh, here's the first couple of verses, Exodus 25, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And so here, uh, God is giving instructions to Moses that Moses is then to pass along to the people. And these instructions are about the construction of the tabernacle. And uh, if you're not familiar with the uh, tabernacle, the tabernacle is a tent, uh, a very large and very elaborate, very ornate tent. And uh, in the Exodus 35 passage, it, it described it as a, as a tent of meeting. And uh, yes, this was a very large ornate tent where the people of Israel would, would meet together and gather together. Uh, but even more importantly, they would meet together with the Lord, to meet the Lord. Um, and so the Ark of the Covenant was situated in this uh, tabernacle, and the ark was really kind of the, um, the place where Israel symbolically met with God. The ark was uh, really emblematic of God's presence among uh, his people. And so here in Exodus chapter 25, this um, tabernacle project is, is announced, and just like with uh, many projects, it begins with an offering. But interestingly enough, this tabernacle project that's announced here in Exodus 25, 1 and 2 never gets off the ground because there is a huge delay. And that delay is written about in Exodus chapter 32. And if you've read the book of Exodus once or twice, you may know uh, what this delay is that uh, is recorded in chapter 32. And even if you've not read Exodus, maybe you've not read any of the Old Testament, maybe you've not read any of the Bible, you still might know what this delay is. Perhaps you've heard of, uh, of a time when Israel uh, made a golden calf and bowed down and uh, worshipped it. That's what we see taking place in Exodus chapter 32. Now, if you went back uh, right to the first uh, chapter of Exodus, uh, you find the Israelite people in Egypt, and they're in slavery, they're in bondage, and they've been there for 400 years. And so uh, they've never known anything but bondage. And so God is going to free them. And so he engages a, a rescuer, um, a guy by the name of Moses. And uh, so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And uh, every time I say that phrase, I just imagine uh, Charlton Heston in that old movie from the 50s, The Ten Commandments. And so I'm sure you know this story and, and the plagues and whatnot. And so kind of the final uh, plague, if you will, uh, we often refer to as, as the Passover. 
And God had given instructions to the Israelites to, um, to take a lamb and to slaughter that lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorposts and the lintel of the homes in which they lived so that um, God, when he saw the blood, would uh, protect that home from the destroyer. And, um, and so God had given the instructions uh, to the Israelites, uh, and they knew that this was going to be their exodus. Um, but as he gave those instructions, he also gave another interesting uh, directive, and he told the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians. Um, and that's such an interesting directive for God to give them. Um, and it wasn't that they were to go and kick in the doors of the Egyptians and just take their stuff. Um, God actually said that they should ask their Egyptian owners and their Egyptian landlords uh, for their gold and their silver and their clothing to just give it to them so that when they left uh, Egypt, uh, they would have these things with them and they would have these possessions with them when they crossed into the promised land. And when you read that story and the God telling them to plunder the Egyptians, it, it, it seems strange. Uh, we might ask why. Um, some might think that maybe God was just kind of sticking it to the Egyptians because uh, they um, you know, took advantage of the Israelites and, and enslaved them uh, for 400 years. Uh, some might think that God was just kind of lying in the pockets of the Israelites, almost like reparations for the horrible mistreatment that they'd experienced in Egypt. But I don't think that was the case at all. In fact, what we, what we find out to be the case is God was providing for them, for the Israelites, upon their exodus, that which they would uh, utilize in the construction of the tabernacle. And so um, by the time you get to chapter 32, where this golden calf debacle is uh, described, Moses is up on the mountain with God, and he's been up there quite a while. He's been up there long enough that the people are, are thinking, hmm, is Moses ever coming back? Is he AWOL? Is God AWOL? Well, if that's the case, uh, we better do something about it. And so the people were really antsy, and Moses' brother uh, Aaron kind of jumped the gun and uh, uh, told the people to bring their, like their golden earrings and, uh, and things, things that actually God had provided for them in Egypt, and to bring those things, and they, uh, they made this giant um, golden calf. And so that's what is described in Exodus chapter 32. And they bowed down and they worshiped this false god. And so um, once Moses finds out about this, he goes back to the presence of God. And um, here's what's in Exodus 32 verses 31 and 32. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. And if you jump ahead a couple of chapters to chapter 34, verses 8 and 9, we read Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. In other words, God, please don't forgive. Please don't um, uh, forget us. Please don't give up on us. Um, 
You know, God, please show yourself to us to be merciful and patient and forgiving and kind, even though we've made a horrible mess. God, please be kind to us, even though we took what you provided for us and we squandered it in the construction of these false gods of gold. And so um, it's in the light of that background, that contextual background, that we come to chapter 35. So back in 25, chapter 25, God gives this initial directive to take an offering, okay? This is, this is the launch of the tabernacle project. We're going to take an offering, but then the whole thing gets delayed and prolonged by this rebellion, this worshiping of false gods. But God does, in fact, prove himself to be merciful and patient and forgiving. And so when you get to chapter 35, once again, Moses has assembled the people. Um, he's, he's giving them the instructions about the tabernacle. He's reminding them of some, port, of, uh, some important things, uh, reminding them of, of Sabbath. And then uh, we have this directive. This is Exodus 35, 5, take and offering. And so here in chapter 35, we are now back to where we were in chapter 25. But think about these Israelite people. Not only now are they filled with gratitude because God has been their rescuer and their redeemer from slavery in Egypt, but now he's also forgiven them and given them a, a new chance, a new opportunity. He's been patient and extended mercy and kindness to them. So their hearts are... Um, overflowing with gratitude. And we'll see that gratitude that is based on the character of God. We'll see that overflowing in generosity. So here's the directive, take an offering. And what I want to do right now is I want to notice three other phrases in this same verse. Uh, three other phrases that really speak about this offering and, and are very instructional for us, certainly for the Israelites and uh, for us as well about the offering. So the first phrase I want us to notice is this, from what you have, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Well, what did they have? Or what do we have for that matter? Only what God, the creator, has provided us. That's all we have. That's all they had. In fact, the Israelites, literally the only thing they had was, was what God, their rescuer and their redeemer, had provided for them in terms of plunder uh, at the time of the exodus from Egypt. That was literally going to be the substance that they would then offer in this offering from what they have, which was what God provided for them. That's what the Israelites had. Similarly, everything that you have and everything that I have is stamped with the seal of God's ownership. God owns it all. Um, every centimeter of the universe belongs to God. It's all his. Psalm, um, I think it's Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's. It, it belongs to him. It's his. It's his possession. The psalmist also uh, speaks about the heavens, the universe, and says the, the heavens declare God's glory. His fingerprints are all over 
all of it. His seal of ownership is all over creation, the heavens and the earth. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that grows on the earth, everything that is dug out of the earth, every bit of oil that squirts out of the earth, it's all God's. He's provided it all. So everything that you have, everything that I have, everything will ever be, all comes from God. It all belongs to God. You think about, um, if you fast forward to the time of the life of King David, uh, David was very adamant that he wanted to build God a temple. Uh, David uh, looked back at this tabernacle, this tent, and thought, well, that's inadequate for God, and uh, I want to build him a temple. God didn't particularly want it, but David kind of insisted, and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so David went ahead with this project, and, and he received this huge offering um, for this temple project, and the people gave very generously, and in, in, um, that's recorded in 1 Chronicles 29, and David prays a prayer there that I think is, is one of the most beautiful prayers um, in scripture. And one of the lines that David prays to God, um, in light of this huge offering that people gave, he said, everything comes from you. And we have given you only that which comes from your hand. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only that which comes from your hand. So this is a, this is a really important um, thing to understand, this, this notion that from what you have. And again, what do you have? What do I have? Only that which God has given us. If you fast forward even uh, more to the life of Paul, Paul writes a letter to a church in Corinth. Um, we, we call this letter 1 Corinthians. And, and Paul there, um, I don't know, I don't want to say that he's uh, scolding the Corinthians. He's certainly giving a gentle rebuke at, at the very least. There are some Christians in that church who are, are wealthy and, and there are some of them who are walking around like they're self-made men. Some of them walking around like they're self-made women. And so Paul uh, asks them this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Again, every centimeter of the universe belongs to God. It's all his property. He owns it all. And so with these Israelite people, clearly what they had was what God provided them as a result of his uh, grace. The second phrase that I want us to notice uh, is, Everyone who is willing, so from what you have, take an offering for the Lord, everyone who is willing. And so we see here that this is not, this offering is not legislated. This is not law. This is not Moses uh, commanding. Rather, this is a matter of personal conscience. This is not a this is not a situation where Moses is laying this big obligation on the people. He's in no way being um, coercive. He is in no way laying some kind of a guilt trip on them to give. No, Moses simply says, God asked me to say to you that from what you have, recognizing that everything you have, uh, you know, you have is God's, from everything you have, bring an offering to the Lord, everyone who is willing. Uh, some Christians today... Um, view 
giving rather grudgingly. It's like, oh, well, I guess if I have to, I guess if I'm expected to, I guess if they're doing it, I should do it. Some see it as kind of a, of a duty, as an ought or a should. Uh, some Christians delve back into the old covenant and pull out their calculators and start doing percentages, even though Jesus uh, died to free us from the letter of the law. Other Christians give out a guilt. Uh, it's like, oh, I've, I've been pretty bad, so I'm going to give some money, and I guess that makes me good. Uh, or some uh, give out of uh, fear. I'm going to give for fear of what God might do to me if I don't give. All of those things, uh, all of those ways of giving, those mindsets are absolutely contrary to this principle of willingness that we see here in um Verse 5 of chapter 35. By the way, this, this, um, this thing of, of willingness we see all throughout the entirety of, of Scripture. Overflowing gratitude that is revealed by overflowing generosity. And, and it's about a willingness. It's about a willingness. Everyone who is willing. You know, this... Um, this thing of willingness, this, this priority of willingness, is it's a really important thing for us as followers of Jesus to, to be aware of and to be on, uh, on our toes. Because if there's ever, say, a pastor or a teacher or a small group leader or a television evangelist or a megachurch pastor who is heavy-handed or demanding or is who, who is um, like overly directive uh, when it comes to this matter of giving, we need to be aware of that and on guard because this principle of willingness is a biblical scriptural principle that should accompany our giving. If you think about this story that we're looking at today, who's the one who's heavy-handed? It's not Moses. It's Aaron, right? Aaron was the one who said to the people, hey, bring your golden earrings here now and uh, we're going to melt it all down and make this giant calf. Uh, Moses doesn't tell them what to do with their gold and their silver. He just simply says, whoever's willing, whoever's heart has been stirred by the Lord, go ahead and bring an offering to the Lord if you're willing. He doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't tell them how to do it. The third phrase that I want us to notice from this one verse is to the Lord. So from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord. This offering is to the Lord. They're not giving to a project. They're not giving to a tabernacle. They're not giving to tent pegs and, and, uh, and, and animal hides and, and, and poles and posts. Uh, no, they're giving to the Lord for the work of the tabernacle, but they're giving to the Lord. Everyone who is willing, bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. So here Moses is telling the people that, that God is willing to receive from anyone who is willing to give. God is willing to receive from anyone who is willing to give. In fact, the principle uh, kind of looks like this. The Lord, who is in need of nothing, is willing to receive from those to whom he has given everything. The Lord, who is in need of nothing, is willing to receive from those to whom he has given everything. And so we who are 
the beneficiaries of everything, the beneficiaries of his grace. So when we express overflowing gratitude that results in overflowing generosity, God is glorified in that. Well, what is, um, what's the response of the people here to this? And, you know, also what is to be our response? Um, I think the response is, is really fascinating. So Moses has given these directives. He's done it with uh, real clarity and no manipulation or coercion or anything like that. And look what happens. This uh, We've already looked at these verses, but uh, let's just notice them again. This is Exodus 35, 20 and 21. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work. That first phrase there, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. That phrase really uh, jumped out at me as significant. It's like they said, you know what, we better go away and think about this. And so having withdrawn from the presence of Moses, we notice what happened. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him or whose heart was stirred up by the Lord, they brought an offering. And again, notice the, the phrasing here, to the Lord. This is an offering to the Lord for the work of the tabernacle, but it is, it is to the Lord. They're not giving to a project. They're not giving to the tabernacle. They're giving to the Lord for the work of the tabernacle. That's, a, that's an important distinction here. We also notice that um, not only was this a case of people, uh, Israelites bringing what they had, what God had provided for them, but there's also something we saw in the, or heard in the reading that, that took place. Um, there were people who were specially gifted by God with talents and skills and abilities who brought their artistic giftedness um, to the project and, and offered their time and their skills and their talents and in, in the arts and, and in uh, the use of fabrics and fragrance and, and textures and precious metals and craftspeople and, and so on. And so, um, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to um, harp on this, but notice again, to the Lord. This is, this is so significant. They didn't give to a project. They gave to the Lord. Well, what happens here? Uh, what happens is crazy. It's, it's crazy. If we go to chapter 36 and look at verses uh, 4 to 6, here's what we see. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Uh, I've never seen anything like that uh, in church before. Can you imagine the treasurer getting up and saying, please, no more. We've got more than enough to do the work that God has called us to. It's an amazing thing. So these skilled workers put their tools down. They go and see Moses and, and they say, hey, tell the people to stop. Enough overflowing generosity. We've got more than we need. And so here's these people, these Israelites there, not only... Uh, 
you know, filled with gratitude because God rescued them. He redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. But he also forgave them. That whole debacle of the golden calf, he forgave them. He had patience with them. Um, he was merciful toward them. He gave them uh, a, a new opportunity to, to follow him. And so they gave from what they had. And what did they have? Well, only what God had provided them. And to what did they give? Well, it wasn't a what, it was to a who. They gave to the Lord. And why did they do it? Why did they give? They gave because the Lord stirred their hearts. Were they manipulated? Were they coerced? Was this like some heavy-handed tactic? No, just those who were willing. And the group of people who were willing was obviously a rather large uh, group because of this overwhelming response and the need for this second directive that we see in verse 6 to, you know, please tell the people to stop. They were restrained from bringing more. I love that. God had a plan for the tabernacle. And so the people gave. They gave from what they had. They gave willingly to the Lord for the work of the tabernacle. And you know what? I, I don't think these Israelites knew the entirety uh, or the enormity of God's plan to which they were giving. And similarly today, God has a plan for rescuing people through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, God says to us, you know, give. I, I want to give you the opportunity to give as your hearts are stirred, as you're willing to give to the Lord for the work of the gospel through the local church. To the Lord for the work of the gospel through the local church. Let me just say this. If you give financially to Sobel Christian Fellowship, which is to give to SCF online. Let me just say thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the local church. Thank you. Your gifts are to Jesus for gospel work. I think the people in this story, um, you know, I, I don't think they really understood the enormity that here God is reaching out not only to the nation of Israel, but to the whole world. And similarly, we are involved in, in global missionary work. The gospel is a global uh, work. And so uh, it is our privilege and our opportunity to give generously in response to the overflowing uh, grace and love of God. Well, overflowing generosity. I just want to make a couple of quick points as we, as we wrap up today. Overflowing generosity, first of all, comes from an unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ. Overflowing generosity comes from an unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ. Unreserved means um, nothing is held back, not even our wallet. In fact, I am not committed to Jesus if my wallet is not involved. 
My commitment to Jesus Christ cannot be said to be unreserved if my wallet is not involved. There's a story in um, the Gospels that we read about a rich young ruler. And uh, this rich young ruler comes to uh, Jesus, and he's asking all the right questions. He's concerned about all the right things. He's concerned about eternal life. But after his encounter with Jesus, we find in the, in the Gospels that this rich young ruler walks away from Jesus sad, grieving. He was unwilling to make an unreserved commitment to Jesus that included his wallet. And he went away sad. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount really uh, tells us very plainly, very clearly. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve them both. Can't do it. In fact, Jesus, Jesus points out money as the one thing more than any other thing that will compete with him for your allegiance. And so any giving that does not begin and end with our unreserved commitment to Jesus is not biblically given. Secondly, overflowing generosity must be exercised in keeping with what we have. Uh, Paul writes to the, the uh, Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and he says that uh, our giving... Uh, ought to be in keeping with your income. Your giving ought to be in keeping with your income. Um, we have mentioned a time or two now that we have um, planned for a special offering two weeks from today on Thanksgiving Sunday. And um, here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want people uh, coming to this place in person or coming to this space online, getting kind of all revved up and excited emotionally, and then giving compulsively. Even if we got a big offering, I wouldn't want it to be given compulsively. Any gifts given compulsively are not given biblically. Uh, Paul says we need to use our, our, our brains uh, in the process. He says, give according to your income. Now, for some of you, uh, in the work that you do, you might have better income at some points of the year than at other points. And um, so you give in keeping with your income. That requires some thinking and uh, 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 some consideration of the time of year and all those kinds of things. Um, and again, we've already talked about the fact that this giving is, is the result of a stirring in our hearts of the Lord. We need to uh, discern our willingness. We need to discern our, uh, our, uh, our commitment to Jesus, our unreserved commitment to Jesus. And we need to give in keeping with our income, in keeping with what we have. And so, you know, uh, this overflowing generosity is not a compulsive thing. It's a very thoughtful thing. It's a very reflective thing. It's a real discerning process. How is the Lord stirring? Uh, how, what is my uh, level of willingness? What is my level of commitment to Jesus? And in light of his overflowing love and, and, and grace, uh, how do I respond in overflowing generosity? There's thought given to this. Not only that, but there's also 
um, God-given economic duties and responsibilities that we have. Our taxes, you know, uh, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We got to pay our taxes. We got to look after our families. We got to care for those who are, uh, you know, part of our family and look after them. So uh, our overflowing with generosity is a thoughtful thing and it's also done in consideration to the other economic responsibilities that we have it's not a compulsive thing and so we um we identified uh again a thanksgiving offering two weeks from today and uh that's october 9th and so uh, we're going to receive an offering that day, and we're seeing this as something that is over and above our regular giving. And we've already announced uh, that half of what is received will be used for kind of in-house ministry, and the other half will be used for kind of outside community engagement, particularly with those who don't know Jesus. And we've already dropped some hints uh, that some of the in-house ministry that we would uh, want to prioritize in this offering has to do with um, some uh, acoustic sound work to take place in, in the large auditorium here at, uh, at uh, the Sobel Church. And uh, not only, not only the, the acoustic, uh, completing the acoustic paneling in the big room here at the church, but also this room in which I'm standing right now, we want to do some uh, soundproofing, some sound deadening in this room. If you've never been to the building, I am right now in a room that is on the second floor of uh, the Sobel Church building, and this is a room dedicated to uh, video. And this is a room dedicated to SCF Online. And uh, we record all of our video in this uh, space. And um, it, it may look like I am in a, a nice living room or, or sometimes in a nice kitchen, uh, but I'm actually standing in this room behind, uh, actually in front of a green screen, and I don't even know what uh, the background is that you're going to be seeing. And of course, you see all the scriptures appear uh, over here. That's all. Uh, we have a, a young fellow named Evan who does the editing for us. And um, so we want to um, enhance the quality of our ability to record for our SCF online uh, ministry. So why are we concerned about the acoustic panels in the big room and the sound in this room? Really, it goes back, honestly, to last week and Colossians chapter one and Paul talked to the Colossian believers about the time when they came to Jesus. And he talked about a time when they heard the good news message of Jesus, and they understood the message of God's grace. We literally want every space in this building to be a space where people literally can hear well and easily the good news message of Jesus, and where they can hear easily and well uh, and, and understand the message of God's grace. And, um, you know, in our big room uh, down below the big auditorium, uh, we also filmed the worship there for use in our SCF online ministry. And uh, so we want, you know, that sound to be as, as, um, as, as good a quality as we can make it. Um, recognizing that we're not professionals in any of this and uh, it's not going to be uh, perfect or 
uh, as good as it could be if we had different resources and professional personnel. Um, but we don't want our sound in any way to be a distraction. We want people to be able to hear the good news message of Jesus and understand the message of grace clearly without distraction. You know, Paul said, uh, I think it's in Romans 10, where it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of, of Christ. So the ability to hear well and plainly and clearly the good news message of Jesus is really important to us, both to our in-person ministry here at the building and, and in our online space. That's just one of the projects that we want to identify. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you the other projects right now. What we are going to do is, so next Sunday in our service, we're going to have a short video and you're going to be able to see that. Uh, and it's going to identify each of the projects, both the uh, kind of in-house projects and the community projects that we feel God has kind of um, brought to our attention to uh, address through this special Thanksgiving offering. And so what will happen, um, we'll watch that video next Sunday. We'll all become aware of the details of the projects. We'll also announce a goal for the offering. I always think it's a good idea to have a goal. Sometimes we don't hit it, and that's okay. Sometimes we exceed it, and that's uh, something to celebrate. But we'll, we're, we're going to set a goal for our, for our offering. And, um, and so next week, once we understand all the details of the projects, then we're going to do what the Israelites did. We're going to withdraw for a week. And what are we going to do the week before Thanksgiving? We're going to discern. How is God stirring in my heart? What is my willingness to engage? What is my commitment level to Jesus Christ? Is it, in fact, unreserved? We want to take time just to think about the fact that God's grace and God's love and God's goodness, man, he's lavished on us uh, in overflowing fashion all of these good things. And what is to be our response uh, to that? And so this will be some of the things that we think about and pray about uh, the week leading up to this uh, offering. And again, Whatever we give, we give not to acoustic panels, not to sound deadening. <laughs> we give to the Lord for the work of the gospel through his local church. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we give you praise today for your love, for your grace, your forgiveness that you have lavished on us in Jesus Christ. Such overflowing love and grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we were slaves to sin, you came as our rescuer. You shed your blood for us, and that when, when we individually apply your blood to our hearts, the judgment passes over us, just as it passed over the homes of the Israelites where the blood of the Lamb had been applied. Thank you that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we are blessed with every spiritual provision, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, all because of your provision. Thank you, God, that because of who you are, 
we can be overflowing with gratitude in every circumstance, every circumstance. And may our overflowing gratitude be expressed through overflowing generosity as you stir our hearts to give to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the local church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.